400 million tonne of plastic waste is produced around the world each year. Third of it is single-use packaging, and single-use packaging makes up a half of all ocean litter. Welcome to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast by Coralis, a global community of women and non-binary people making real progress on the world's to-do list. Together, we're transforming the world to become more equitable and sustainable. Hello, wonderful people. I'm Evie Ashton. I'm an activator for Coralis in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I'm really excited today to be speaking with Nada Piontek, who is the founder and CEO. Is that correct, Nada, of Again Again? Tanaka, yes, correct. Um, I am one of two co-founders, in fact, um, of Again Again here in New Zealand. My co-founder is Melissa Firth. Um, the two of us work together, but with very separate roles, but a very shared vision. So we both have a vision to replace single-use packaging with a system that enables returnable packaging and is beautiful and easy to use um, and commercially viable and robust for vendors. So explain that a bit more. If I'm going to use again, again, what do I actually do? As a consumer, which is a word I don't like because we want to not be consuming things. So as a customer, um, you'll download our app, so it will be on your phone. And when you go into the curry shop or the coffee shop or perhaps the brewery, anywhere where you're currently buying food and drinks in single-use packaging, you'll continue and order the, let's say, for example, coffee that you were going to anyway. But instead of having that in a single-use cup, you'll whip out your phone and you'll use your phone a bit like a library card to check out a real container. So... Um, we have a network of vendors all around the country who have real containers, cups and food boxes and um, beer flagons ready to go and waiting for you at their location and you simply access them using your phone. So you're dealing with people you're trying to get to use the service on their app and the vendors to supply and connect with the app. Yep, there's a third party actually, which is the packaging provider. So within that transaction currently, there is the vendor and the end user, but there's also the container itself. And that container is an extraordinarily lucrative revenue stream for someone. And so the way that we've built our system actually also creates a place for a future packaging provider to lease containers into that system thereby disrupting what is already there, but actually creating a future pathway that is revenue producing and in fact has better return on investment than single-use packaging for the providers themselves. So right now, if I was going to use your app, would the container that I'm given at said store be something that the store has just whipped up or are you already in partnership with somebody who's supplying those containers? Uh, That's a great question. And already we have a couple of different models working. So we have our own proprietary system, which is a set of containers that we own. They're very lightly branded with Again Again, and they can be used interoperably in a whole load of locations around the country. So in that case, we own the containers. And in some cases, we've sold those containers to the vendors and they own them, but we manage them. 
Um, we also have a couple of examples um, in play, and the largest of those is with Havana Coffee Works, which is a Lion-owned brand. They've got 75 locations around the country, and Lion has purchased those containers and put them into all of the cafes serving Havana Coffee, and then again is, are using our platform to manage that. But when, a, when an end user borrows the container, it's actually Lion <laughs> who owns it, but using our app to access it. So we're getting quite into the weeds now because that's exactly what I wanted to know, how you actually use your service again, again. Can you describe the problem that you're solving for us? Sure. Oh, there's two big questions in there. So I'll take the problem first. 400 million tonne of plastic waste is produced around the world each year. Uh, a third of it is single-use packaging. And single-use packaging makes up a half of all ocean litter. So it's an enormous, ubiquitous problem that people actually just can't visualise when they are faced with their one tiny, minuscule unit of single-use packaging. But the only way to deal with distributed waste like that is a distributed opportunity to change that behaviour to make it super easy. I believe one of the strengths of our solution is that on the surface and for the end users, it's it is so simple. It is literally like using your phone as a library card and you check it, you check it out, and then when you're done with it, you check it back in again. And it is that simple. For the vendors, a little bit more complex because they've got some business and financial complexity that they want to assure they're not losing money on it. So it you know, has a degree of complexity. And then when you pop the hood underneath, it's this, it's a super complex workflow that we take care of. So we do all the complexity. And so on one level, we are supporting a horizontal brand experience for end users, which allows them to use the same app, whether they're in the curry shop or the brewery or the coffee shop. And eventually when they order consumer goods online or order their curry and their, their takeaway food online, it'll all be the same app and it will all show up very simply in one app. For the vendors, there's a vertical opportunity whereby they can brand their containers if that's what's important to them. Interestingly, um, it's about 50-50 at the moment. Some vendors really want their brand in people's hands and they, so they want their containers. Others want others really value that easy um, circular experience for the end user. And so they choose to use containers that are branded with our brand that can go between all of them. So people that use your service, vendors that use your service, don't have to brand it again again? No. The beauty of it is that they have complete autonomy. Um, we are a tech company. It really is not our place to tell them what containers they should use. We're not quite unique, but we're one of only a couple of companies around the world who have tackled it in this way. The vast majority of companies internationally who are working with returnable packaging have chosen a common unit, a common, a common container, and then forced that container on different vendors. But we live in a free market in the free world and different things are important to different people. And so the way that we've built our platform, we can accommodate whatever container is relevant to the vendor and give them the autonomy to choose that container, procure it. You know, companies, companies like Lion have got much, much stronger procurement processes than we could ever offer them. And so 
so we give them that control and let them have that control if that's what's important to them. Uh, that also means they can control their costs and their logistics. It all gets controlled where the vendor or the brand, the vertical brand supporting a number of vendors, chooses for that control to be. We are the tech platform that makes it possible. I have so many questions, but I need to go right back to the very beginning, which is how did you get started on the venture? So prior to this, I, I've been a serial entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur all my life, um, except for a, a two-year hiatus that I had. My husband went back to university, and for the purposes of stability, um, I got a job and put my sustainability ethics to work in a leadership position in the Wellington Sustainability Trust. Amazing organisation. And one part of what I was doing was working with our education teams and our waste educators to support businesses to adopt better waste practices. And it became excruciatingly obvious that while there was a will, there was just no tools. There was nothing to support people making better choices. Our systems are currently set up to make the only easy thing to do to take single-use packaging. So 25% of all office waste is the packaging that people bring in with their lunches, so in their coffee cups. And we were busy trying to help them reduce that and recycle it. And the harder the truth is, it's really hard to reduce if there's nothing else to replace it. And recycling fails. It was a really frustrating experience for us and for them. And I was literally lying awake at night and I had this light bulb moment of why don't we just take it back? <laughs> and it all started from then, really. Um, I got up the next morning and I Googled and I worked out that I was definitely not the first person to have this slight <laughs> Um, that there were a dozen companies around the world that were already doing it and some of them are a few years ahead of us. Uh, and it took me about, oh, at least a week to quit my job and get started. <laughs> <laughs> and although to be fair, like I said, serial entrepreneur, I was looking for a reason to, <laughs> to get back into it. And my husband had finished university by then, so the time was right. Uh, and here we are. I mean, as they say, the second mouse gets the cheese, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Quite helpful, is it, that other companies had already started? Oh, definitely. You know, I look at all the companies that are doing this at scale around the world, and there's now there's now probably 25 doing it at the scale that we're doing it and hundreds who are doing it at a local community scale. And I still actually don't think any of us have completely cracked it. I, I firmly believe that we're on path to, but we've bought an, a, an MVP, a minimal product to market, and we need a whole lot more features if we are going to apply this to the entire industry and, and, and actually replace the use packaging rather than make a little dent in it. I'm just not interested in little dents. <laughs> but but nobody has actually cracked it. Um, and that learning process is a constant. So when we first came to market four years ago, we bought a, a container, like most of those other companies have done, we bought a coffee cup to market in two sizes, forced them on the cafes and said, here, we've solved your problem. Turns out we had it. <laughs> We've comprehensively solved the problem for a very small number of cafes who use it very heavily and have actually replaced single-use packaging. We've got 30 cafes around the country who have no single-use packaging, just use our deposit and return coffee cups. 
And so that's great. We solved a little bit of the problem for a few of the people, but we also learned that that deposit and return model, when it's integrated with single-use packaging and when it's put into a cafe where there isn't really strong championship for change, doesn't really work. Right, because my question for you was going to be, you're talking about quite significant behavioural change. So what was the secret of the cafes where you have solved the problem? Is it the championing? So Yeah, it's the championing. It's the passion and belief of the person who's taking the orders at the counter. It's not the owners of the cafes, which it was, because some of those are very passionate. <laughs> but equally, some of those don't care at all, and they've still got the champion on the counter, and then it works. So that, that championship on the counter is, or at the counter, is definitely the number one thing. Second to that, there's community activation, which is really relevant. So in Wanaka, there's a group called Suck Free Wanaka, single-use cup free Wanaka. And they have been working for a couple of years now and have really dramatically changed the culture of single-use cup consumption in Wanaka. Dramatically, like reduced it by something like 60%. And their intention is, to have to have the entire village be single use cut free, I think their I think their initial pledge was this year, and they're well on track for that. Like they're doing a, a remarkable job, and that you know we are one of many different systems that are utilised in that region, and I would like to think we are probably the most developed and at scale, we have the most impact. But absolutely, it is the community activators and the passion behind the people who are making this happen in the community that is the driving reason for that change. We are but a tool for them. And that behaviour change is right at the crux of success and failure everywhere. So we've got councils want to do it. There's groups we've got a champion in Dunedin at the moment, and, and he's just fed up. He's just fed up with getting takeaways. <laughs> in single-use packaging, and so he's taken it upon himself to change his community. And again, well on track to do so because he's there, he's on the ground, he believes it, he's creating change, and he's normalising it. And those people, you know, I just have so much respect for the people who are down, you know, on the ground doing the main. Have you discovered that there's a demographic that, uh, that uptake really quickly? There's definitely a sliding scale that has got young people at one end and older people at the other. So we see, you know, student campuses, they really engage, they want to be part of the solution, they're prepared to pay their $3 deposit um, and get it back. But they actively engage because they, because it's their future, actually, <laughs> that we're talking about. Older people are definitely harder, but which is not to say that there aren't some great older people who engage as well, but statistically, undoubtedly, younger people are more engaged. You know, we see, we've got a really, really strong engaged network uh, in um, central Wellington. And so there's that combination, I, I guess, of progression and youth. That said, we're really heartened by bigger businesses now coming on board. So, you know, Lion is New Zealand's largest beverage company. They, they are embracing this. They're investing heavily into it. They definitely have the vision. And it's super heartening to see some actual resources being put behind this because we've been... You know, we've been working away at this disruption and with, with very few resources for a long time. So it's great to see those businesses jump on board. Uh, Kukako Coffee and Arosta Coffee are both 
um, currently trialling our tech system. People's Coffee, across their brand, have been using the deposit and return system for a long time. Councils are definitely engaging. So there are definitely hotspots and places where it's really hard. I think you get that in anything. How long has this journey been going for Again Again? We started piloting in 2018 with the cash deposit system. 2019, things just exploded and took off, and we had about 200 cafes all going gung-ho. Um, and then COVID hit and collapsed them and us, everything, just gone overnight. And so that was really interesting because we had already started to see the cracks in terms of understanding that that deposit and return model didn't work for everybody, and COVID just sped everything up. So all of those people for whom it was a sort of grey area, it was a nice to have, but it wasn't really doing much and it was costing them, that all just disappeared overnight when COVID hit. But it gave us the opportunity to sit back. Once we've kind of gone through the panic of like, how do we how do we keep feeding our families? <laughs> and businesses all around us were falling over. Once we kind of got through that, it gave us a space to say, well, okay, if this bit solves a little bit of the problem, how do we take all those learnings and imagine how it can be in the future? So we did that and we came to market, came back to market in December 2020 with a plan for a technology platform. We went through a crowdfunding campaign and, and had about 180 amazing supporters give us about $400,000 in order to kick this off. We've get, had a bit more investment to, as we've gone along. And all of those things sort of bundled together and have culminated in the release of the MVP, which is now in market working a treat. And so now we're at the point where, where we are, um, we're back looking at what does the future hold? Our real challenge currently is we've built it. We know it works operationally. We know it's, it ticks the boxes for the vendors and the commercial side of things. How do we get people using it? And so our real focus at this point is community activation and engaging people to become a part of the solution every time individual people order their coffee or their curry or their beer and have the opportunity to borrow something that's not going to end up in landfill. So is the vision to continue with each transaction, each touch point being a sign-in, sign-out with your packaging, your again-again system, I should say, sorry, or will that reach a tipping point and then you'll partner with somebody like Uber and people will pay you a monthly subscription or, a, you know, it'll be a more vast partnership? Every piece of waste that is currently produced is produced in an individual transaction. So we have to get to those endpoints. But getting individually to people is, an, is a mammoth task. It's almost impossible. So using channel opportunities to get to many people is where we are going next. So yes, the likes of Uber or in New Zealand, we have done some work previously with Moby2Go, which is an online ordering app. So finding ways to integrate and using technology for integration, that's, that's the next big um, frontier actually is to integrate the transaction so that it's not two separate transactions at the moment you buy your curry and you borrow the container you want to wrap those two together and have one transaction that connects them the end goal would be to have pre-packaged goods and returnable packaging available at the supermarket where you pick it up when you scan it, it recognises that it's not a free container and it connects you perhaps via your loyalty card or via some sort of scanning at the 
at the counter that then sells you the olives but puts the container onto your again again account and then you go away and do your thing and then when you bring it back to the supermarket there'll be a drop point that will be unmanned so that there's not a workflow that requires people in it that validates the return of the container and then you carry on so having that fully integrated is where we are headed but there are a lot of pretty major milestones to reach before we reach that position and the key one actually is sanitization and we don't do anything with the sanitization at this point but if you're talking about reusing and returning packaging you have to have a sanitization process and at the moment we work only with uh, locations cafes and um, kitchens who can take that packaging back and wash it on site um, and whilst that is definitely the right place to start it doesn't scale to um, to you know, enterprise fast food brands and supermarkets, all of those places for whom washing has never been a part of what they do. So they are either going to have to step up their game and create wash workflows on site, or there's an entire another industry will start, which is third-party washing, where someone else will come and collect those containers, take them off the boat, wash them and return them. That's what's happening in North America. That's the pattern that's happening in North America. I'm not entirely convinced that driving cuts around the city, creating emissions through logistics is the right way to do it. This is where I was saying before, I don't know that anyone's actually practiced internationally. It has to be pretty close to source. If you're going to justify driving things around to wash them, it has to be pretty close to source. And actually doing it on site is perhaps a better option but then you have a workflow and a whole other workflow that currently is not being considered. There are so many moving parts how are you simplifying this to get people involved and I'm talking consumers and vendors? Yeah one of the theories of change is taking small manageable steps it's the it's the old eat the elephant equation you just have to start with one box. <laughs> so for us um, we've cut sanitization out of our scope of what we can support currently, which means that we only work with cafes who will take that on, that wash part of the um, process on. We've cut events out. We don't support events because events <laughs> events are normal cafe um, workflow on steroids with huge numbers in an empty paddock with no facilities. You know, like there's a lot of reasons why events are much more difficult. And credit to the people who are doing events. We get asked literally on a three times a week, we would have an inquiry with someone saying, Could you just would you just be able to loan us 20,000 cups? <laughs> and we could definitely loan them, but taking them back and reprocessing them and getting them back for reuse which is you actually have to have the full complete circle to call it a circular economy initiative um, is not our bag. So at this stage, we don't do that. Other people do credit to them. That's a very important piece. There's currently an initiative in Wellington to close that circle for both for business as usual cafes, but also for events. Um, it's called Wash Up Welly, and they are building the logistics to pick up the containers, wash them, and return them. Um, and talking about a Wellington fleet of containers that are shared amongst a number of different vendors. So, yeah, the way that we do it is the smallest step that feels achievable. So, for us, that's working with vendors who have got wash facilities in place and are prepared to utilize them. 
Um, it's working with end users who already go to those cafes and already get their coffee or their, their curry and making a small change. Um, but then it's cross-pollinating. So let's say you have embraced the system and you're getting your Havana coffee in Wellington at home cafes, for example, and then you turn up in Arrow Valley to get your beer from the Salador at Garage Project, and what do you know? You can borrow a glass wagon there, and it's ready and waiting for you. You don't have to pre-plan it or think about it. It's, it's there. Um, that cross-pollination also occurs with corporates, and so we're seeing businesses, large corporates, they've all got a mandate to reduce their waste and to be showing their stripes with respect to their sustainability uh, efforts, and so. If we can support corporates by creating the opportunity for their staff to access real containers instead of packaging at the lunch bar that's in the foyer, then that's a way that goes back to that one to many equation. We can create one system, but then many people who all have a connection to the corporate can utilize it as a team. What do you say to people who would rather? soothe their environmental guilt by using compostable containers my containers are compostable they're not going to the ocean <laughs> that there is a vast breach between compostable and composted so statistically less than a percent of those um, containers actually get to a facility that is prepared to and has the capability to process them Compostable packaging is not a solution. Uh, it never has been, but it's been sold really well as um, as a solution. And I get it all the time. Oh yeah, but we compost. It's like, well, hang on, you're you're creating a piece of packaging that, by definition, in order to meet your composting requirements, needs to get to an industrial composter. And they go, oh yeah, but I put a, a the vendor say, oh, but I put a I put a rubbish bin for the compost outside the door. I'm like, yeah, but you're selling it as a takeaway. So now you're asking people to grab your coffee, go and drink it, and then come back to the cafe to throw it out. Like, I mean, <laughs> it just it feels like a circus to me. And, and it, you know, all the evidence suggests that it's a circus as well. Unfortunately, there's just nothing to support it. And, you know, the New Zealand government put out an advice piece on compostable packaging last year that said, we don't recommend that it's used <laughs> in the circumstance of a cafe at, under normal circumstances. There's really only two um, areas in which compostable packaging might be justified, and that's not taking into account the toxicity of compostable packaging. You know, it's not just that I'm rolling my eyes and being a being an extremist greenie about it. It genuinely doesn't work. And we just have, we have so many of those examples. So in Australia yesterday, um, the soft packaging recycling system fell over because it turns out that they're collecting it all and stockpiling it in warehouses and there's now toxic leach from it. And so, you know, everyone feels great because I've spent months and years packaging up their um, soft packaging and taking it back to Coles or wherever it is and putting it in the green bin because... That's what they, you know, and they've done their bit. And therefore, I guess not unreasonably, they think, well, if I've closed my bit of the circle, then it would be reasonable to think that that circle, that everybody does their bit in that circle. But that's where it all falls over, that the actual closing of that circle is just so poor and so little of it happens that 
it can't be considered a solution. Depending on where you read, they say that 9 to 13 or 14% of plastic, of all plastic ever made, has been recycled. And if you put that in different terms, even if you're being generous and accept the 14% end of that, that's an 86% failure rate. So I'm getting the impression that your vision for Again Again is that you're actually, you're not going to close the circle yourself, but you're going to get partners that actually come on board, maybe some that you can't even envisage right now, that are going, actually going to come on board and help you close the loop. But let's be really clear here. We are not in recycling. No. We are in reusing. Yeah. So we are going to step up the way hierarchy. And you, you're right, there is a circle there. And at the moment, we work with partners who close that sanitization side of the circle themselves. Um, in the future, there will definitely be a place for an entire industry that will work in closing that part of the, the circle. So yes, we're a tiny little company. We can't, we can't possibly imagine that we can solve this problem on our own. <laughs> and so, you know, that's part of the journey is to collaborate with people who can close their part of the circle. But I'd just like to point something out. Part of the reason that there is essentially no infrastructure for sanitization, and part of the reason is that it's not cost effective. It's really, really expensive at the moment in comparison to single use packaging to pick something up, wash it, take it off site, pay for the petrol, the time involved, repackage it, and take it back to that. That's a very expensive process when you can spend 22 cents for a cup and lid for a cup of coffee instead. So a few things are needed to solve that. Um, one is legislation. At the moment, there is not a level playing field because the vendor is paying, let's say, the 22 cents for that single-use cup and lid, but they're not paying for the end-of-life processing and the waste. You know, um, taxpayers pay for that. Ratepayers pay for that part of it. And so the cost to the vendor is not the full cost. So legislation needs to help level that playing field and that will come. But also at the moment, prior to us coming to market, returnable packaging had nothing that assured and protected the investment into it. And so someone, let's say a vendor, would buy a bunch of containers there's a coffee roaster in Auckland who did this. They said, right, we're really behind this. We really want to solve the problem. They went and bought a whole bunch of, I think they were keep cups, branded for their brand. And they gave them to all their locals and their regulars and said, just make sure you bring it back. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks, mostly they came back. And now there's zero. They've <laughs> all evaporated. <laughs> because that's actually what people do. And no one does it maliciously. No one's stealing those cups. They just leave it in the car and then they take one home and their sister takes it back and then puts it in their picnic seat and then the kids take one to kindy and use it for the paint. You know, they just, they just evaporate. They do. So with Again Again, they could take it to any other cafe? Yes, but more importantly, they're responsible. So they get given it for free. They check it out on their app, but they've, they've given it for free. And then it's their job to bring it back. And everybody says, yeah, yeah, I'll bring it back, I'll bring it back. And so if they bring it back, everyone's happy. And that's the end of that, that equation. But if they don't bring it back, then eventually we will remind them and eventually we'll replace the, we'll, we'll charge them and then replace the container. 
But that replacement fee is a really strong motivator. We're seeing we're seeing more than 98% return rate. People want to be part of the equation and they want to not be a bit crap. <laughs> so they actually do their thing <laughs> because they've bought into that at the at the start. And from the vendor's perspective, they've spent thousand dollars on these beautiful cups and at the end of the year they still have a thousand dollars worth of cups because they've either come back or because they've disappeared and we have reimbursed them for the value of their cups. Now I'm getting this take this or leave this but I'm getting this overwhelming impression of a larger than life irreverent brand champion who is a dominatrix perhaps it's a glorious queen I don't know but it's again again right? You're being naughty, you're not taking your cups back, and they're standing, I can just see the ads now, and they're standing at the takeaway, and they're going again, again. Mm. I'll take it under advisement, but I'd have to say, if I've learned one thing on the journey, is that as soon as you put the word should into your equation or your communications, you lose people. You know, this is a journey, and I know that I should take my returnable, my reusable bags to the supermarket. But, you know, I'm human and sometimes I forget. And and so I think I think that while there is merit in what you're talking about, being cajoled into doing something because you should do it and you're being naughty actually can turn people off too. Yes, yeah, so that was an answer to that. It was making it mm. naughty rather than should. But right. my, my, my larger yeah. point was that you've said that the brand champions and the cafes are actually the ones that successfully implement again, again. And I notice on your website that it's all very information and process focused. And there's actually no personalities or champions or whatever it is that, you're, that you've talked about. Is that that you're selling face-to-face and letting the people be the champions? Hmm. That's a really great reflection. Thank you for that. We recognize that there isn't one size fits all. And so some of our vendors have these, you know, beautifully designed, very white with lots of greenery type cafes. And then other people have, you know, they might be far more, they might have far more personality and graffiti and, you know, like chips, tables and chairs. And we have to be able to be present in all of those environments. And therefore, we've quite actively chosen to be very neutral with our brand. And perhaps that is what is coming through, but I also think that we perhaps by by being agnostic, agnostic, we're also talking to the very beautiful cafes, but we're also talking to the very brand conscious cafes. So we're talking, you know, Havana is actually a really great example of that. Havana have got this amazing brand and brand is very, very important to them. Everything they do is on brand. And so we have to be able to give them the front seat and let them carry their brand first and foremost rather than try and take over from that. And therefore, you know, we're a bit like Visa or Afterpay <laughs> that we sit in the background doing the doing the work of the management, but we are not the brand. And I think it's important that we honour that because if we are going to transformationally change the space we have to meet the vendors and the packaging producers in their space rather than forcing us on them a bit different with consumers very different with consumers right like they their drive will be completely different yeah correct if you went to ripe valley right ripe have just come on board with our system and and you know that 
amazing champions. But if you went to the Mayo's Farm and went to Right Deli to get a coffee, you are 100% getting a Right Deli coffee, not an Again Again coffee. <laughs> and so as it turns out, they have bought into our proprietary system and they are using Again Again cups, but there's no question that you are getting a right coffee when, you, when you're in that transaction. And so, so we have to honour that and let them be ripe rather than Again Again. So... Tell me about Coralis and congratulations on becoming a venture. It's very exciting. Thank you. It is exciting. Yeah. Tell me about what was your thinking behind applying and what are you going to do now? So, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to be welcomed into the community. This is actually the second time that we applied. So a couple of years ago, we became semi-finalists and then this year, obviously, thrilled to go through and actually be supported. Having people back you <laughs> is a gift. And whether it's your whanau or your friends or, in this case, a, a network of radically generous women and non-binary people who put their hands up to be backers before they even know who we are. Like, they are good people. <laughs> and so it's pretty exciting and pretty thrilling, actually, to be chosen to be that representative and to be supported by the network. For us also... Uh, the funding is important. You know, we're a lean startup and we just about on the brink of cash flow neutral. <laughs> but well done. We thank you. <laughs> I say just about because you know we're still in that waxing and waning phase. Funding is really important. You know, you can't get transformational businesses like this up and running without um, a lot of passion, but also a lot of funding. So that is important. And the nature of what we're doing is a is really, particularly at this point in our business journey, is about community activation. And so again, passionate women and non-binary people who want to be involved in changing the world are a very ripe network for us to, to be connected to and to ask for the support of. How have you found the process so far? It's been great. The application process is, it's not overwhelming. Perhaps also supported by the fact that we've done it before, so um, it's, we kind of knew what we were in for. And there's plenty of support actually along the way with that as well. That's been great. I felt very welcomed. I'm a bit of a loner myself, so there's a little bit of discomfort there for me, personal discomfort there for me, just because it's new territory for me. I feel like I've got a foot in each camp. And I'm also a bit of a risk taker, so I don't tend to be the person that is in the middle of the gang, I tend to be the one that's on the side kind of poking at the edges to see how far I can push things. And, and so, so again, being, being in the centre of that support, you know, it's not my natural territory, <laughs> not much of a group hugger. That's it. I have had nothing but positive support. And, um, and now that we've actually moved forward to become a supportive venture, I'm finding that there's a fair bit of framework about that too, and that really works for me. So the fact that there is an assigned coach and that there's a CFO that we are connected to that can get down into the you know the nitty gritty of the financial things, the structure that comes with it really resonates with me. And the other thing that I I'm loving, and I, I feel like this is because I fit at that on the edges being the risk taker and the person who's sort of poking things to see if we can push things forward is the connection with the other ventures. So, you know, we're in a cohort of spectacular women who are doing amazing 
amazing things for their communities and for their the groups that they are that they are serving and 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 supporting. And that feels really exciting because a lot of a lot of that group are in a position that I really relate to. You know, there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of passion. We're at different stages of the journey, but we are all on a path that sometimes feel pretty lonely and pretty isolated it's pretty cool finding people who are in a similar place and who are inspiring just because I had the opportunity to share their journey that's pretty nice sounds like you're finding that a really really rich experience are there any asks that you might have at this point for the Coralis community definitely and actually that I'd just like to point out that that framework of actively asking is very functional. I'm loving that. We have a twofold ask, and one is for people personally to engage with being part of the solution, finding a way to make their personal actions count. And with respect to our business, that means downloading the app and finding cafes local to them that they can utilize that and, and begin their own journey for returnable packaging. Thank you. <laughs> but perhaps more importantly, on a, on a business level is that I would ask for connections from people who are in a position to help us leverage that one-to-many equation. So whether their own businesses or their own community groups or their own um, networks are positioned, if their networks are positioned to be able to give us the opportunity to have a common communication thread or offer um, an activation deal to those communities. And they are attached and close, particularly to where we've got hubs. So uh, Central Wellington, Commercial Bay with Kokako Coffee in Auckland, and Smales Farm in the North Shore, that they're probably the three key areas where we're looking for connections into businesses and groups that can become part of that journey in those areas. Nada Piontek, thank you so much for talking to us from again again. Good luck with absolutely everything. Nahora Maida. Thank you, Evie. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast. Let us know what you thought of the episode and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at www.coralis.world.